Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. So thrilled that you're here. A couple things you should know about in the months of January and February. Got some exciting things going on. I want to tell you about quickly, and then I'm going to get into the word, the message for today. First things first, if you're here and you're new to the church, by the way, uh, child dedication families, what's up? I see you. Love that you're here. Thank you for coming. And whether you're part of those families or you're some of our other cherished guests here today, there's a connection card behind every single seat back. And that's a great first step. You know, maybe you're just, you're going to come and feel the place out a little bit before you grab a card and put some of your personal biographical information on there. We get it. We just want to point your attention to it to let you know it's there. And it's a great first step for finding a church family, a faith community where you can belong, you can connect and grow. And it's incumbent upon us to show what that pathway is all the time because we're trying to grow a family here, a spiritual family of brothers, sisters, friends. So please know that those are there. If you fill one out today, you can fold it up and put it in one of the wood boxes on your way out. You'll see them by the doors or you can drop it to us off in the lobby. Uh, Bucky and myself will be out there in the lobby. Uh, You know, the next thing you got to know about is this Wednesday night, is there any men in the room? Yeah, commence manly growling sounds. Yes, awesome. So we have an event for men. It's coming up this Wednesday night. It is upon us, 6.30, 8.30. Yes, there will be meat. There will be ribs of some sort. There will be a meat alternatives for some of our bros who just, they're not going to have meat that night. That's fine too. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful evening. Yeah, exactly. Not just of bros and not just of meat, but we have a, a special guest speaker. He actually is a part of the Chargers organization. He's an athlete. Uh, his name is Drew Tranquil, and he's going to be coming, bringing an encouraging word, uh, just sharing his story. Story, and also sharing some, some words from the Bible uh, that will be powerful and relatable for, I think, every single person here. So uh, go to the lobby and meet Andy. He's our men's ministry leader. He'll have a table set up. You can kind of, you can put some money down and even get a whole table if you want to bring friends, family, coworkers uh, who love the Chargers and uh, who happen to be a man. Come out for that event. It's going to be really cool. This Saturday, we have kind of an original event that we've never done before. Uh, We're calling it the Health and Faith Symposium because symposium is the fanciest word that I know. So we just decided to throw it up there. It's going to be a dialogue. It's going to be a conversation. Uh, Too often from the church side of things, uh, even from the pulpit, you know, where I stand, uh, you don't really get, you get mixed messages around what does the Bible say about health? you know, our physical health. And it's the new year. You've probably got some goals around health. I, I hope you do. And this is our, our chance to begin a conversation, a dialogue around how faith and health meet and mix and how are they interrelated. So please, I know there's a couple things happening this week right away, but flag that in your calendar. Come. There's, these are three wonderful men who, who love Jesus and also are in kind of a professional kind of health space. And we can come and bring all kinds of questions being processed together and learn what God has to say about health issues. And bring your health questions. Bring your health challenges. We want to pray for you. We're going to have people there ready to pray for you and your own physical healing. So please know about that. Be, be reminded about that. And then uh, what's the last thing I got? Nick, is there one more thing that I got there we should talk about? 
Yes, thank you so much for giving. We had an amazing year-end offering. People brought so many amazing, generous gifts at the end of the year around Christmas time. It's incredible. We're praising God. We're, we're raising a hallelujah like we just sang off of how good God has been. And so um, those same boxes, if you feel so inclined, if God's leading you to bring a gift uh, to the church, a financial gift, uh, we, we so appreciate that. There's, there's all kinds of ways to give. So, so please know that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the big idea. We're still incredibly filled with worship at the end of the year and all of the financial gifts that people brought. It was incredible. I'll tell you outright, it was the biggest year-end offering that Watermark's ever had in its seven-year history. It was incredible. It was mind-blowing. You can definitely, you can give it up for that. And we're a church that cares about transparency. So if you have questions about, well, what does the church do with those dollars? And what, what's its mission to make a difference in the world today? We'd love to talk to you about that. So that's kind of our deal. Hey, we're in a, a series. It's the third week of the series called Stop. Man, seems like a counterintuitive idea for the new year, isn't it? Because as soon as uh, New Year's comes, it's all about do and go and more and produce and change and all those things that we normally design our resolutions around. But the church is here to offer an idea that's maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but actually radically countercultural. And it's a, it's a goal, a resolution, a habit that I think, that we think should be on every single one of our lists in 2020. But why? Why this series called Stop? First thing is, it's one of our family values. So there's a piece of paper in those seat backs as well. It's a, it's a folded, it's a fold out. It says family across the front. If you open that up, you'll see 10 values. And of the hundreds of thousands of values that a church organization or any organization could pick, we whittled it down to 10. One of those values is a stop value. That's how important it is to us. That's how integral it is to human flourishing. Regardless of what you believe about God this morning, we believe that every human being needs the habit, needs the rhythm of stopping every now and then. It's how God designed us, regardless of what you believe or understand about the Bible. It's a huge value. In this series so far, we've introduced a term, we're borrowing it from other great authors. There's a guy, John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's kind of a mouthful. And he says there's this, he's actually quoting a cardiologist who came up with this term, hurry sick. I think we all even just if this is your first Sunday, that kind of clicks. You understand where we're going with that. Hurry sick. Our lives have become so frantic and stress-filled that we have a little bit of what this cardiologist calls hurry sickness. He coined that term because there were actual patients coming to him, having issues with their valves and their organs as a result, as a direct result of stress in their lives. Is that amazing? Some of you can relate. And when we fail to stop, why else? Why the series stop? Well, when we fail to stop, we lose connection with God and others. So for me, this was the linchpin for the entire series, you guys. There's a, there's a commandment. You know, Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? And many of you know how he responded. He said to love God and to love others. Love God, love people. It's out there in the lobby in big letters. When we fail to stop, pause, rest, delight, have fun. I'm going to be talking about having fun this morning. We fail to do that. Our disconnection with God for sure, but also our, our disconnection horizontally with other people is largely diminished and challenged in struggles. You maybe have been on the receiving end or the delivering end of that process. We have broken relationships, hurt and pain start to seep in. I'm no good. Guys, I'm no good when I have an empty tank. I am not going to be all right at serving my wife and my kids if I come home with just destroyed and wrecked and filled with anxiety and stress. 
So we need to fill back up. That's the challenge. And there's a, there's a line that kind of came to me that for this weekend as I was preparing. It, it convicted me. It challenged me. And I want to put it on the screen. And then we're going to get into some of the big ideas. This came from a guy named Pete Scazzaro. I was listening to his podcast. And, and this is what he said. Oh, this is a challenge if you let it be. I'm going to read it twice. Can your walk with Jesus sustain the weight of the responsibility that you carry? Just think on that. Just think on that for a second. Can your walk with Jesus, your walk with Jesus sustain the weight of the responsibility that you carry? Whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're a CEO of a multinational corporation, you have tremendous responsibility. Whether you're single and you're learning to lead yourself and manage your own priorities, it's a tremendous responsibility. And the beauty of this series is not do more according to your own strength, your own power, your own will, your own education even. No, look what it says. It says, can, can your walk with Jesus be the sustaining force and power and wellspring from which you draw that strength to, to, to persist and to go on? That's a challenging question that I urge every single one of us to process through. And I just want to take a pause right now before I go any further, and I want to pray. Let me just pray for our time because it needs to be so clear to every single one of us in the room. This is not another message of dues and regulations and right, religious rights and principles. It can't be another message like that, guys. I don't, I don't want to see that. No, not ever. And so would you just pray with me right now and just go, just close your eyes, bow your heads, just go inside yourself for a second. And I'm going to pray that whatever it is that God wants you to hold on to this morning, that that would remain. Anything else would just fade quickly away. So Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for meeting us here, for being present in this place. You were already here before we got here. You're everywhere. Of course you are. You're unlimited, God. And I just pray that this tough challenge that, I, that, I, that I've just presented us with, that it would be received well that people would understand that these are actually rhythms of grace. If these are habits, if these are disciplines, if these are resolutions, that they would be driven by grace, not legalism, not judgment or condemnation. Please bring a spirit of grace and mercy and fill this room with it. Thank you so much for this very good and challenging word of stop. I pray in the name of Jesus that every person that leaves here will have one piece of... Uh, action or takeaway that they will do for themselves that you are leading them to do. Not me. I won't do that work for them, but you can, Lord. You're a good father. You're present, and your spirit is dwelling with every single one of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a challenge. We can all agree. Hurry sickness. The cardiologist. I feel the pain right now. There's a tension, but thank God there's a solution according to his word and according to his, the leaders of his early church. And there's so many ideas. Next weekend, Bucky's going to be talking about silence and solitude. Man, is there enough noise today? With news and screens and kids and traffic. Noise. I know you'd love to hear from God. I prayed that prayer. God, please speak. Please show up. Maybe he's speaking, but we can't hear him. There's so much noise. We have a radical need for silence. What about solitude? Solitude, just go solo for a few minutes throughout the day, or maybe, yes, even one day a week to just go solo. And if you're one of 50% of the introverts in the room, you know that you need that. You can never be your best self relationally because you still love people, but sometimes you want to bite their heads off. Why? Because you haven't had that solo time. 
You'll, be, you'll find yourself against your very own nature, just the way God made you. And, and then you'll be reacting, again, in that disconnect with others and with God. So Bucky's going to tackle those practically next weekend. Don't miss it. This weekend, we're going to talk about stillness and sabbatude. So, so, excuse me, Sabbath. <laughs> Saul of sabbatude. So, so stillness, and don't worry, your boy's got skills. Hang in there. Stillness to stop. Oh, oh my God. For the guy up here who's so hyper and so high energy and bordering on spastic, I told people this morning in our pre-service meeting, I need to be still. I need to bake time in of just, just not moving for a second. Maybe you're like me and you have that personality or that wiring. Sabbath. Man, I think we've gotten very confused about Sabbath, this old Jewish Hebrew word, which just means, simply means to cease or stop. I think we've gotten it twisted, guys. We think it means that we've got to go to a quiet place, maybe a retreat center, and just, like, just meditate on Scripture so hardcore the whole time. And if we don't come out with at least 12 verses memorized, we've been unsuccessful. No, no, that's not God's heart for Sabbath. In fact, Sabbath can actually be fun. In your day off, you should do something that delights you, and that would be a holy and biblical practice. You would be doing it right. Two of my favorite things. And so for today, I'm doing something a little different. Normally, I have like a one point or a main point or a big idea. Today, we're going to have fun, all right? You guys ready to have fun? Can you have fun at church? Is that legal? Is that legal? We're going to do like a word association. I'm going to flash it on the screen right now, and I want you to say it with me, okay? Here it is. Not Sabbath. That's not it. Say office party. Give it to me two more times. Say office party. And one more time for the stragglers. Office party office party? What the heck does that have to do with scripture and stillness and sabbatude? What the heck? (laughs) Sabbath! Sabbath! There's solitude is one thing and Sabbath is another thing entirely. They're two different words. You're with me. This is what it means. Office is the stillness part. That's your word association. When you read office, you should think stillness. When you read party, you should think Sabbath. Uh, you should think Sabbath. Okay? It's, if I don't do that, it's going to happen one more time, and I will it not to happen. When you, when you hear Sabbath, what should you think? Party. When you hear stillness, what should you think? Office. You're going to leave here today, and you're never going to feel the same way about office party. And then I'll know that I've been successful in indoctrinating all of you. So, first, Sabbath. Two weeks ago, we talked about Sabbath. It comes from that Hebrew word, uh, sabbat or shavah. It just means to cease or stop. So important of an idea. God baked it into the ten, his ten values, if you will. One of the ten commandments, number four we learned. It's a big deal that God baked that in. We talked about how Jesus uh, was relaxed. What a weird term to describe Jesus I hope it marks you like it changed my life when I heard another man on this stage say it about two months ago. He he talked about relaxed Jesus. And I was like, wow, not a word I would necessarily use to describe myself. Relaxed Jesus is a huge part of Sabbath. And I want you to know again that, that this morning as we talk about Sabbath as party, Sabbath is more than religion, you guys. It's more than religion. So if you've come with that stuff this morning, that religious stuff, Oh, man, just get ready to thank God because it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be encouragement. The first idea I want to talk about is Jesus' idea of Sabbath and his definition for Sabbath. And here it is. It takes place in Mark chapter 2. Got a little teeny tiny. Sorry, bear with me. 
It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain to eat. The Pharisees said to him, Pharisees who were the religious elitists of the day, hyper, hyper religion, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, he answered, have you never read, Jesus that is, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Here's the key phrase right here in verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what's going on in this passage? Well, before there was popping bottles, there was popping heads of grain, okay? There was popping heads of wheat. The the disciples are walking through this field. It's the day off. They're hungry. They're popping some heads of grain. They're having a good old time. They're relaxing and unwinding. And they're doing that with Jesus. It's a little bit of fun. It's a little bit of party. It's a mini one. Yes, there's a lot more going on here. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. But it's a little bit of delight. They're having a meal, This is intrinsic to what Jesus does time and time and again in the Gospels. And as I was sitting in our staff meeting this last week, I had a revelation about habits and resolutions and goals, especially these spiritual principles that we talk about. When we're talking about these practices, they're actually rhythms of grace is what I want you to hear and understand about this. The rhythms of grace. Every single one that we tackle in this series called Stop, I want you to, to just be aware of this. It is not about a spirit of religion. It is not a spirit of religion that we have been given through the Gospels, through the words of Jesus. It's not another set of rules, rights, or regulations. Remember what we said in the beginning. This whole series is about love God, love others. That's the takeaway. That's the win of this whole series. If you all learn to love the Father and to, yes, receive and just receive his love, some of us just need to get better at just being loved and allowing God to do that. And yes, relationally, loving others well. Does that sound like rights and regulations? No, that's the produce. That's the fruit of what these stop rhythms of grace are really all about. Remember what Bucky said last weekend. If you, didn't, if you weren't here, listen to it. Go on the podcast. Go on the website and listen to it. He, called, he was teaching from the passage that, that speaks of an easy yoke of grace. A yoke is like a, a necklace that joins us with Jesus. It's a brace that joins us with Jesus, and it's grace-filled and mercy-filled. Not judgment and condemnation and do more and and be more. No, it's a gift of grace. So when, when we hear these messages and we run around thinking that we're unsuccessful in our spiritual habits, in our hours, we think that we have to spend all this time praying and fasting and reading the Bible, I want you to understand this first about Sabbath that we learn from Jesus and his disciples right here. It's not just a reintroduction to rest, which your soul desperately needs. It's a reintroduction to the power and control of God. What we learn in Sabbath when we stop, when we stop doing, we actually stop controlling or attempting to control. And we learn that in this passage. Jesus is asserting control. This is what Pete Scazzaro said. He said, we stop on Sabbath because God is on the throne assuring us the world will not fall apart if we cease our activities. Is that an encouragement to anyone here? To know that you don't have to do, you don't have to produce, you don't have to control because God is on the throne and nobody's moving him off of that place. He's going to be all right. He's going to be in that place and we're going to be all right. We can stop. We are, we have, what's, the, what's the initiator of that? What's the motivator for that? That it's okay to stop doing 
and producing in the activities that the world tells us constantly we have to run after at a breakneck speed. He's still on the throne. He's in control. And that's the broader context, if we go back for a second, of what Jesus is doing. In this passage, Jesus is referring back to David. Now, everyone knew at that time the Jewish people who were expecting the Messiah to come. They knew Messiah. Even Jews today who are looking for Messiah, which means Savior, anointed one. That Jesus knew what he was doing and answering their challenge. Because you see, the, the Pharisees had made it about religion. They had made it about a spirit of religion, doing. There was original law, the Ten Commandments I mentioned. And then from that time to the time of Jesus, they added 600 more regulations on top. And so they, they try and hit Jesus with one of those regulations. And Jesus says, what, what you who love David, who know David, who are looking forward to the, to the final real David, because David was a type. David, quote unquote, even though it was King David, a true historical figure, the, the idea the, the, the grand idea of a, a David-like king who would be the savior was found in Jesus. Do you see Jesus proclaiming that? He's saying, look it, you know David. David is your hero. The real David, the savior of the world is here in your midst and he's popping heads of grain and I want you to understand that I'm in control and that's the definition of real Sabbath. That's why I built this thing in for a need for all of humanity to stop, to cease, and yes, to delight, to even have fun, to even have a party in Jesus' name. It's, it's showing God you're in control. I can pause enough to relax and unwind because God is on the throne. He's in control. Here's the other thing you need to know about Sabbath, okay? Everyone here been to a wedding? raise your hand if you've been to a wedding. Just go ahead. You can exercise. It's good. It's the new year. My shoulder would cramp if I held it up too long, but you see that's all that I got, and everyone's already putting them down. Put your hand up if you've ever been to a wedding. I'm a pastor. I've got authority up here. If the pastor tells you to do something, just do it, okay? Most all of us in this room have been to a wedding. There's a couple people that haven't, and that's okay. Your day will come too. What's it like? What's it like when you go to a wedding? When you're at the ceremony, you know, and you see finally the man and woman joined at the top of the altar. Oh, man, you're filled with wonder and childlike awe. You get all the feels, you know, as they're exchanging vows. Whether you're married or single, you just still have this, like, hopeful expectation, this beautiful picture of a man and a woman coming together. And then what's it like at the reception? Any of you guys ever rip your pants on the dance floor? Anyone ever? Hey, it's safe to belong here, Okay. Because I'll just admit, okay, two of the last five weddings I've been to, your boy's ripped his pants. <laughs> I, I have a problem at the tailors. Obviously, I haven't dialed it in. Uh, my particular cut and fit needs to work for my pants. But you go and you dance and you unwind. It's a party. It's fun. You let down. You sing. You laugh. You cry. You drink. Maybe a little. Maybe not so much next time, okay? <laughs> Jesus had a little bit, but it's a little, you delight. You have fun. It's a party. Is this a man-made idea? Well, some of you are just wondering, a bent party, really? Word association? I don't know if that's biblical. Okay, let's just keep going. Let's look at Revelation right here. This is from Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It's a picture of heavenly things. And this is what it describes. Verse 6. Praise the Lord. That's party language. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He's on the throne. You don't have to do. You can stop sometimes. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the what? Wedding feast of the lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. 
For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Don't read the rest. Don't read the rest. Just pause for a second. What's going on in this picture of heavenly things in the last book of the Bible? The Bible is one book, 66 books, and this last picture is a revelation. It's an actual picture of some heavenly things. And, and, and of course, the, the groom in this case is Jesus, and the bride is the church. The, the, there's a feast described, a wedding feast, a wedding reception, a party described in the last book of the Bible that points to some of these things that we can expect when Jesus returns, when he comes here. Not obliterates the earth and then, oh, we all go to be with him. It says new heaven and new earth. He's going to come here, and there's going to be a wedding feast. It says that the, the bride, that is the church, that's me and you. Every single person that, that calls themselves a believer is wholesale referred to as the bride, the church, the bride of Christ. He's the groom, we're the bride. Has prepared herself. In this one area, guys, sometimes I wonder if resting, if stopping, if pausing, and part of that is delight and fun and joy, is a practice of heaven. Sometimes I wonder if we have actually prepared ourselves the way that the bride ought. Because that's going to be eternity. I, I don't know how to quantify that, but I know it's a long, 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 long time. Much longer than my 77 years guaranteed on this planet. It's a long time. And this verse implies what it infers from this passage is that maybe we should practice with the motions and rhythms of grace because when we get to eternity, that's what we're gonna be doing the whole time. Have we prepared ourselves, you guys? Have we prepared ourselves as the bride, as the church, to even rest? Because you could read the last line that says good deeds and think, man, I just gotta break my neck for good deeds for Jesus, and that's everything. That's cool, that's something. But what I see in this passage, and I connect it with what Jesus is saying about Sabbath, and I connect it with the 10 commandments all the way from Genesis, is that this is God's grand picture for our whole lives to cease and stop and pause and delight, which is practice for eternity. And that's what one author says so eloquently, so I'm just going to use their words. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. It's where we regularly, intentionally engage in God's rule and reign. There's that control thing, right? In our hearts and on earth. We practice this intentional stop. We make room for him to take up residence in our lives. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That is so good. We have that like trite kind of canned reference, don't we? If you're new at a church, it's something we say as Christians. When there's a new believer and you're praying the prayer, a young man, young lady, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? I don't know why I just got texting on you, but I did. And so we're just going to go with it. I don't know why I just got Southern, but it happened. And now we got to live with it and that's okay. <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing. It's inspired by scripture. No, it's not a direct quote from scripture, but it's inspired from scripture and when I read right here, when I read that, this wasn't even in the notes, but I just think, man, for him to take up residence in our lives is more than a one-time decision, you guys. It's more than a one-time decision. It requires practice. It requires daily rhythms of grace, not just even one day, Saturday or Sunday, the, the classic Jewish Sabbath day. We got to practice this, guys, because we're going to take up residence in heaven one day. When we do this together, we're making space in our communities this language, the bride, it's not just individualism. See, the Bible is so anti-hyper-individualism. It's a communal affair. When we come together and do this, this is beautiful. This is practice for heaven. When we call one another to Sabbath, that is a communal affair. Even better, we're taking part in this new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place here, his resting place right here. So we've talked about kingdom kingdom of heaven. We've talked about heavenly things before at this church. 
And when you love others relationally, the kingdom of heaven is here. When you spread love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, when you spread that, just even the person next to you, the kingdom of heaven is here. And yes, when miraculous things happen, when God breaks through the natural barriers of this world and supernatural, miraculous things happen, the kingdom of heaven is there in that place. You know, the kingdom of heaven is also here when we stop and we pause, we have fun, we delight. There's a piece of heaven that resides right here and right now. So I want to ask you, let's get really practical for a second. got to apply this for you. I can't, I don't know how, I wouldn't know how to do this for you, so do it for yourself. What are the things that blow your hair back? What are the things that, that cause you delight, that fill your tank? And here's a very, very practical tip. Because if you leave here and you go try and set up some of these rhythms of grace, as I say, and you figure, man, it's going to be the weekend. It's going to be Saturday and Sunday. We've got two days off. It's awesome. And I understand not everyone gets a neat little one or two days off a week. I get that. I appreciate that. Here, here I am working on a Sunday. I get that. You have to get creative. But here's one tip that someone gave me that's huge. If you're planning for Saturday and Sunday, you've got to have one day post-work where you do some of the homework, right? You have the honey-do list, the thing, all the activities and the leftover stuff that you didn't do during the week. You gotta have one day devoted to that. Otherwise, you're always gonna feel unsuccessful on your rest day because you and, and, and whoever you're with, your friends, your family, your spouse, are gonna be at this fight. Like, why are we working right now? We said we would do this. We're trying to rest. You're gonna be defeated all the time. That's why you have one day to do some of the stuff you didn't do during the week and then another day to shut it down. That's an extra little bonus. I never, it's as obvious as that is, I never thought of that. I don't know about you. But that's the way the weekend is really supposed to be designed. So great. What does the, uh, what is Sabbath? What's the word association? What does Sabbath mean? Party for today, at least our purposes. Sabbath means what? Party. Dude, it's a party. I need more than 25% of people responding. What does Sabbath mean? Party. Way to hustle. That's great. That's enough for me. And stillness equals office office. And what we're after this morning is to break the, the rules and regulations and rights and principles and instead talk about rhythms of grace. That's why we have party language. Now as we move into stillness, to create pause, to stop moving for a second, there's a verse that you, if you've never heard, you got to put it to memory right now and walk away with it and just let it just encourage you and feel the love from this one verse. It comes from Psalm 46. It says this, Read it with me. Let's just read it together. One, two, three. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Man, is that good? God is on the throne. He is in control. Be still and know that he is God. That's enough just as it is. But this verse doesn't just mean you know, sit in a chair for a minute. The, the original language, what be still represents, is to cease striving. That's religion. Religion says you have to strive, and you have to just always be chasing God and Jesus down. God is the most, he's on the biggest chase of all times. He's pursuing you. Understand that about this thing called Christianity, and about Jesus following. Yes, there may be times when you feel like you're the one going after him. He's hunting you down. He is the hound of heaven. He is pursuing you to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. So please know that. So you don't have to strive. Those words, they mean stop fighting, stop fearing. You see, there's something so powerful about this one line, because a lot of us have heard this one line, this one verse. But what's so powerful is the context of this verse. And the context of this verse is actually a people at war. 
so many times I pray to God that he would break me out of my warring spirit. Because so much of what we need to do in our, in our Christ following is get a hold of what's happening up here in our headspace. You ever find yourself, you just stop and you, and you realize what the voice in your head is saying? I'm probably the worst at this in the room, but the, the battles and fights and, and the words I'm using in my head for other human beings, I am warring in here. And that is not the spirit that Jesus has put in me. That is not the new nature that Christ put in me when I was baptized. Because when I was baptized, I know Paul says that I was dead to sin in those ways of thinking in that warring spirit. And when I come out of the water, I'm alive in Christ. And I can fix my mind on lovely things. Like God is in control. I can fix my mind on things like, be still, Ben. That is not your battle to fight. And you are not okay to make that judgment about that other human being because you are far from perfect, young man. That's the voice of Jesus that I need ringing in my bell when I'm thinking about be still and know that I am God. Look at the context. You don't have to be a scholar to know this. Look at the rest of the passage in its context. It says, the psalmist who wrote this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Is that not comforting? Thank you, Lord. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Does that describe any of the seasons you guys have come through this last holiday or this last six months or this last year, 2019? Does that describe your season? It feels like the whole earth is crumbling underneath your feet. There is a God for you. His name is Jesus, the God of the Bible. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, our strong tower. Is fortress war language? It is. There's a battle going on. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, there's something so interesting about this passage I found as I, I went to study it. It's actually it's the scholars, the people far, far smarter than me, say that this verse is directed uh, not just at the Jewish people, the people of the Bible, or, or the Christian people. We think the Bible is just designed to do that. It only ever speaks to you know, Jews or Christians. And, and, and the scholars say that this verse is actually directed at uh, the Jewish people's enemies. It's written to non-believers. Isn't that amazing? The Bible sometimes does that. What do I take from that? What am I trying to say in that? Is that basically this. That's how human and universal the idea of stopping Sabbath stillness is for your soul, your friend's soul, your neighbor's soul, your, your co-worker's souls, regardless of what they believe about God. God is the creator. He made you and me. He made every single human being on the earth. And, and vital and integral to those bodies is the need for Sabbath and stillness. That's what I take from that. An audience that says, hey, everyone listen up. God's on the throne. Your soul to survive to not break connection with others and with me needs stillness and Sabbath. It needs rest. It needs fun. It needs delight. It needs party. And it also needs the office. What the heck does office come from, Ben? How am I supposed to practice this practically? And where did you get the idea of office? Well, office is kind of a fun word that comes from church history. And here's what the daily office is. Here's a definition, okay? Office actually comes from the Latin opus, meaning work. You see, our first work of God each day is to be with him, to meet him, to be known by him. 
to be present with him. The daily office, very simply put, in that one middle line, is fixed times of prayer, silence, scripture, and reflection throughout a given day. And I promise you, if you test this, you will see what a radical and countercultural rhythm of grace it truly is. It is radical and countercultural. So that's where I get office. Everyone say office. Office. Everyone say office party. Office represents stillness. We've talked about one day a week, which is the Sabbath. Most classically, most traditionally, we have that one day a week to do Sabbath. What about daily Sabbaths, if you will? Daily stopping patterns. The daily office is an example of that, and it is such a simple, neat, tight little opportunity where every single one of you guys can feel successful, regardless of how your week feels and is designed, regardless of the tensions of your work, you're working on the weekends like me, or, or you work a straight, you know, kind of Monday through Friday. The daily office is God's gift to you. It's six minutes, six minutes a day to reorient your lives around God, that it's his day. It's not your day. Can I just say that really quickly? It's not your day. It's not your meeting. It's not your business. It's not your finances. It's not your battle. It's not your drama. If God is on the throne, he is fighting for us. If you read anything from Psalm 46, get that. He's the God who fights our battles. You are not alone in that day. And taking six minutes to say, okay, I acknowledge that. will do powerful, powerful things for your soul. Let me give you an example. There was a day where I came into the office on a Monday. Let me just tell you, okay? There's a reason there's a book called Monday Morning Atheist. Your boy was cranky, okay? I was cranky. It was one of those tough Mondays. And I got my keyboard up, and I got the emails queued up. You know I'm about to go do battle. This is my battle on this day. This day belongs to me, and these are my battles, and I'm going to go fight them. And the keyboard's warmed up, man. I'm prepped up. I'm queued up. I know what I want to say to this one email. I know how I want to respond. I'm going to let my wrath be known. And I knew. I just knew. Because up to this point, for a few weeks, I'd already been practicing this daily, this daily rhythm of pausing for six minutes. And there's this voice, this pesky little voice that says, ah, 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 you should probably stop. You should probably put the keyboard down right now and just listen to me for a second and come be with me for just six minutes. I finally relented, and I stopped what I was doing, and, and, I, and I set a two-minute timer, and that's what I did. I'll be honest with you. I got my phone out, and I just set a two-minute timer. I, I, here's how I want to just break the spirit of religion in the room, okay? Because if you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, six minutes, Ben, that sounds so persnickety, and like, oh, you're going to be that anal about it, and oh, is that really holy if you're setting a six-minute timer? That is the spirit of religion talking. That is not your God who loves you talking, when you hear that voice that says you're not enough and you're doing it wrong and you're not holy enough and you need to do it differently, that is not your father speaking to you, okay? It's not. It's the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy by getting in here and make, creating that warring spirit, creating a schism between you and the father who loves, loves, loves you. He wants to be with you out of a love relationship, not a production performance relationship, so yeah, your voice set the timer, okay? Back to the story. I set the timer for two minutes. I'll come back to that in a second. And you guys, the most profound thing happened. I could feel my heart beating outside my chest. I was having a physiological response 
to my emails. I hadn't drinking any coffee yet that morning. I had a small breakfast, you know, not sugared up, not hopped up. There was no other explanation for that, except for there's a direct correlation between the stress, the adrenalizing experience of my stress, and my heart racing outside my chest. I never would have known, saw, felt that if I didn't stop for a second, pause, take a deep breath, and close my eyes. I'm a 30-something-year-old, you guys. This is, I'm not just speaking to our more geriatric members. This is real. This is real right now for all of us. That's right. Thank you for the hand raise. This is real for all of us. And that's the power of stillness, the power of stopping. And I haven't done it perfectly. I haven't adopted it perfectly. It doesn't happen every single day, just flawlessly. But what I'll do is I'll take this book, and I'll have these books out in the lobby for anyone who wants to grab one. This is a devotional. It's a daily office. This is where I learned this term from a guy named Pete Scazzaro. I got like Apple stickers on here. It's just been beaten up and worn around. I take it with me, try and bring it home, try and bring it to the office. And that's the way he sets it up in his little devotional. Two minutes of silence, a little reading, and then two minutes of silence. Six minutes a day to save your soul. Is that worth it? Is that worth it? To prepare yourself as the bride ready to do life with Jesus for eternity, I think that it's worth it to, to get some office time. It's a game changer. So we're going to wind down right now. I'm going to invite the band up, and I want to give you one more anecdote as we finish, particularly on stillness. So if you're like me out there and you're wiring, your personality just calls for stillness. Some of you, you know, you're going to be just totally lit up next weekend when Bucky brings solitude and he brings silence. For me, for my wiring, I need stillness to survive, to even be present, to hear my wife, to look my kids in the eyes. I need stillness. And I want to ask you this question. What is God stirring in you? Before I share this last story, what is God sharing? What is he stirring in your heart that you, that you might try in a, in, a, in a baby step? Is six minutes a baby step? Can I get an amen? Is six minutes a baby step? Yeah, it's six minutes. It's a baby step. You're not going to overnight when you run into this next week, be sure to just guaranteed Sundays off every week. Probably not. I don't want to limit anyone. Go for it. I proclaim it over you. You can do it. Do anything. That's fine. That's great. But six minutes is a baby step. What is the baby step that God's leading you into? And here's what this story proves that I'm going to share with you is you've got to experiment. You're going to learn so much when you begin experimenting with this, like I did. And this took me years to learn this. One of the things that I learned in seeking Sabbath and stillness, office party, what I learned in stillness for my wiring, my personality, is that I cannot practice stillness inside of a moving car. Can anyone tell me why? Just speak it plainly. Why can't I practice stillness inside of a moving vehicle? What? What is it? Road rage. <laughs> Road rage, thank you. That's the worst endpoint of it because it's moving. Oh, hello. That's amazing. Light bulb. You can't practice stillness inside of a moving vehicle. Is that so profoundly basic? Okay, but I'll join some of you guys because I'll level with some of you guys because some of you guys are like, uh, Ben, you just obliterated my whole stillness plan for this week <laughs> because I was just going to keep a good thing going and just get that holy roller with Jesus time in my car, in my, in my motor vehicle. I'm not saying it's impossible. For some of you, it's, it, it's great. It's possible. But it was so cool. What I realized was a means of grace. It wasn't a spirit of religion. It wasn't a breakdown, God forcing me and pushing me to say, you're doing it wrong, Ben. No, it was actually a relief because it was the moment I realized I really that I didn't have to keep striving to make this car time work, to make this car time fit. Has anyone else tried to pass that off? 
You know, you pass off your quiet time, your Sabbath, your stillness in the car. Well, for someone who needs stillness, being in a moving vehicle is probably always going to feel counterproductive. And it was a moment of grace for me because he helped me stop driving around feeling so defeated all the time. You know, running around, praying to God, and just mummering, just, just mumbling swear words at other drivers along the way. It's not productive. It's not going to be okay. And so it was a moment of grace to realize, man, I, that's okay. I can let that go. I don't have to be so defeated in this quiet time because it's not working anyway. And God provided, he closed that door and he opened a window. He provided another way for me to practice these phenomenal rhythms of grace. So what is it for you? This is the last thing. What is God speaking to you this morning? What new rhythm of grace will you adopt this year? Will you stop? Will you rest? Will you have fun? Will you contemplate? You got to experiment. Try something, you guys. Just try something this work. And then dial it in over time. It won't be perfect, and that's okay. Remember, this is a relational thing. They're driven and motivated by grace. Not doing and not performing. Try six minutes. Try one day. Try part of a day. Try one hour. And just stop and see what God does in that time. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much. This is so personal for me, Lord. <laughs> the way that you've entered my life after 30 some odd years of doing life with you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that I've made it religion. I'm sorry for the things that I've made it that are not about grace, that are not about love, that are not about relationship. And in that apology, in that repentance, I just receive your forgiveness and I receive your grace, Jesus. I take it. That's what I want. I want you and nothing more. Nothing else, Lord. Nothing else will do. I pray that prayer over every single body in this room. Give them a hunger and a thirst for you to be present with the Father again, to be known, to be seen, to be received in grace and compassion and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for every single person here. Let them know what is theirs to do. It's not all theirs to do. The, the whole day, fixing it all and doing it all is not theirs to do. That's yours. You are on the throne. You're in control. We can cease activities. But give, it, give us what it is ours to do. Those baby steps, Lord, whatever that is, that, that one thing, show it to us so clearly that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that it's you speaking. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Come now, you guys. Uh, during this last song, there is communion at the front corners and back corners of the room. And you'll see if you're newer to Watermark, you're welcome. This is an open table experience. In the, in the same heart of delight and Sabbath and a family meal, you're a cherished, cherished guest, and we would love to break this bread with you, to break this meal with you. And as you take it, just know the meaning is, is no small thing. It is so powerful. To take the, the, the cracker and the juice is an emblem. It's, it's a powerful meaning of a small sort of Sabbath that you stop and you know that God is in control and you delight in the fact that his body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you. And what does that sound like? But forgiveness, 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 love, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. So drink that in right now as you go to communion. Do that for me. And as you break up into groups, look out for new people that, that might want to pray with you and you can pray with them. Thanks, you guys. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.